topic of uh, tonight's Dhamma talk is, and certainly you, you know, can imagine, Vipassana Upakilesa part two, namely the ten imperfections part two. And uh, you know, the ten imperfections uh, of insight are you know, the following, as uh, we've uh, outlined already last night. Um, the first one is illumination. And so, you know, then the second one is uh, knowledge and jnana, and the third one is uh, you know, joy and rapture, piti. And then as number four, we have which one? Tranquility, yes, correct, Basadi. And you know, then the next one is uh, happiness, sukha, followed by you know, determined faith. And uh, you know, then comes uh, strong effort, Bhagaha in Pali. The next one is uh, you know, strong you know, mindfulness, Upatana in Pali. And uh, you know, the very last one is uh, attachment, Nikanti. Now, out of uh, you know, those those ten we've dealt with already five including happiness however I did mention though that under tranquility there are a number of other states that tend to arise together with it and so when tranquility arises in our meditation practice as an imperfection of insight then there's a good likelihood that which other mental state will also arise joy that arises before the tranquility Serenity, that's the same thing as... Uh, yeah. oh. Ah, there we go, lightness, yes, indeed. So, you know, the you know, mental factor of uh, lightness, lahuta, in uh, the Pali scriptural language. And so, this you know, then has you know, the results or you know, will be experienced by a meditator as you know, sometimes a tremendous amount of you know, lightness during the sitting meditation, but you know, this may also occur during the walking uh, meditation. So you know, meditators seem to be, uh, or are like floating around. And so, as if their steps are cushioned, air cushioned. Now, the next, uh, you know, apart from Lahuta, the, another you know, mental state that uh, tends to arise is known as malleability. And so the you know, Pani term for this is Mudutta. And so, you know, the malleability you know, refers actually to, you know, well, two things, you know, namely of you know, consciousness, and you know, then there's also malleability malleability of uh, the mind-body. And by mind-body, this is a term, a technical term, that simply refers to the body of mental states. So the entirety of uh, the mental states or mental factors. Now, the interesting thing about malleability is that its character is certainly the subsiding of rigidity and rigidity in Pali is given as tamba and so in a moment or two I'll mention mental states that lead or that cause rigidity of mind now the function of this malleability is certainly 
certain given a certain crushing rigidity of mind and then it is manifested as non-resistance so that's the way a meditator experiences it in his or her practice so non-resistance to what is happening in the meditation practice and uh, this malleability is uh, said to be opposed to uh, mental states uh, such as wrong view, mecha deity, and certain uh, conceit. And both of them are said to uh, create rigidity of uh, the mind. Now, uh, with pride and concede, you know, this is certainly somewhat um, obvious. Um, when just when looking at a you know, person who's terribly you know, conceited, let's say you know, sometimes uh, you know, not during this retreat, but uh, at uh, other times. Um, uh, so sometimes there is a meditator who is maybe new to the practice and still full of uh, or haughty, full of haughtiness. And so, uh, then when it comes to bowing down, uh, the person uh, uh, well uh, experiences certainly some um, difficulty there, and uh, the, uh, the head simply just doesn't want to go down and. Uh, you know, the text say you know, there's uh, oftentimes a rigidity of uh, the neck. And, uh, and there is indeed. And so, so these certain uh, kind of people you know, then you know, not just uh, you know, display an external you know, form of uh, rigidity, but um, also an internal mental you know, type of uh, rigidity. And so then view and in particular wrong view may very much contribute to the same phenomenon. Now just for the sake of general knowledge let me add or let me say a few things about view or wrong view. First of all, Buddhism distinguishes two kinds of view, namely right view and wrong view. The first one is given as Sama Deity, and the second one is given as wrong view, is given as Mecha Deity in the Pali scriptural language. And oftentimes, when simply the term Deity is mentioned, then one should understand by it. Major deity namely wrong view. Now, um, this certain wrong view can be defined as seeing things wrongly. And its characteristic, according to you know, the Visuddhimagga, is unwise or unjustified interpretation of uh, things, so things of, uh, of the world. And its function is to pre-assume, and it's, uh, it is manifested as a wrong interpretation or uh, belief. And its proximate cause is certainly the unwillingness to see uh, the noble ones. 
and so, so unwillingness to see the noble ones here means you know, when one doesn't go and you know, seek out uh, you know, their you know, teachings you know, then you know, one you know, will you know, miss an opportunity you know, to you know, well you know, see well to gain a new perspective on life and so this view or wrong view then in the Dhamma Sangani the first Abhidhamma work gets explained by way of synonyms in the following ways and this then will help us already to gain a better understanding of what is meant by views and so uh, there it is uh, referred to as uh, uh, the thicket of wrong view Nadeti Gahana in the Pani scriptural language and then there's also mention of the wilderness of wrong view Deti Kantara and then the thorny spike of wrong view and, uh, and then the inconsistency of wrong view and then the fetter of wrong view Nadeti Samyojana and then uh, as an, it's also given as an obsession and establishment in uh, wrong view and furthermore inclination towards uh, wrong view or misconception. Now, views and so when we speak of views then under the term right view or correct view comes uh, what? There are two forms of uh, uh, right view, namely mundane, on a mundane level, and then uh, more or less on a uh, super-mundane level. Who knows? Well, on a mundane level, right or correct view consists of uh, the uh, right view on karma, the law on karma, the law of uh, action and uh, result, and uh, this law simply says that wholesome deeds will lead to wholesome results, and unwholesome deeds will lead to unwholesome uh, results. And so... Uh, in terms of uh, supermundane uh, right view, or higher, or let's maybe let's put it better, uh, superior uh, high view, uh, right view, uh, is ma- are mentioned the four noble truths, namely the noble truth of the uh, existence of suffering then the noble truth of the origin of suffering the noble truth of the cessation of suffering and the noble truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering now when it comes to right view or correct view Samadhi Deity it's the first of the eight path factors of the Eightfold Noble Path and in a sense it all starts with this namely that one has some well 
know, some understanding of right view. One first hears it, one studies it, one reflects on it, and so, you know, then, um, but this is not enough. And so, you know, then later on, one does, so, you know, like we all do here, one actually meditates. And then in the course of the meditation practice, you know, well, an intuitive and very direct uh, uh, understanding of you know, the you know, Four Noble Truths you know, does arise. And in particular, upon the realization of uh, you know, path and fruition knowledge. Now, views are very subtle things. They're very subtle, you know, subtle you know, phenomena or events in you know, the mind. However, views can have a tremendous uh, effect in uh, life. Now, let's start from you know, the you know, very um, obvious. In the context of our imperfections of insight, it was mentioned yesterday that wrong view, such as mistaking any of those imperfections to be the Nibbanic experience, or this may, then if this view is held on to and believed in, may lead to uh, an ending of one's practice, stopping of one's practice. So, you know, one has all these wonderful experiences like uh, you know, joy is there and uh, tranquility is there and uh, uh, happiness is there and uh, the one you know, then you know, you know, knows, okay, this is Dhamma delight and uh, the one you know, then uh, enjoys this and misinterprets this you know, to be Nibbana when, of course, it is not Nibbana yet. And so uh, thus, uh, a meditator then uh, may be misled you know, to think, okay, you know, the Dhamma has been attained, you know, so now I can go home. And so that would be a huge mistake because you know, the practice uh, as uh, you know, well is just uh, in the process of developing and has not uh, yet uh, reached any you know, supermundane uh, level now views um, govern even though they're extremely subtle but they govern what we eat. So, in which sense? Well, whether we're a meat eater or a vegetarian you know, will depend on certain views or on views that we're holding. So, if we've come to um, I believe that uh, eating meat products is not or contributes to a lot of uh, violence uh, towards certain animals, uh, then uh, we may, may decide, okay, from now onwards, I'm not going to eat any meat anymore. And, so, and then 
views that may also very much govern well the clothes that we're wearing and they may also very much this is obvious govern our well govern our understanding or our thinking on the political system so how a country how government should be running uh, a country and so um, this then may lead to tremendous clashes if I just uh, think of uh, Nepal and uh, Lumbini the birthplace of uh, the Buddha lies in Nepal until uh, not too long ago last year we've had uh, an 11 year old insurgency and uh, the Maoists of uh, Nepal having or holding on to some very um, well very certain set of views about how society should be structured and who should govern the country and how to achieve their their goals their political goals and this even includes embracing violence or killing people and whatnot and so uh, so uh, the views uh, that uh, you know, the Maoists are you know, holding, and uh, likewise we can say you know, you know, the views that uh, you know, the government uh, is uh, representing, um, then uh, determine how you know, these two groups, government and uh, uh, Maoist, or and, 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 and now in between we have even more uh, you know, liberation you know, groups and armies, <laughs> so it says a whole. Uh, you know, you know, variety there and so this then determines their actions and so at times this can be rather well causing causing a lot of bloodshed now views also occur in a religious context and such as views about what to what to offer or what to sacrifice and just to give you maybe one or two things along a spectrum well in Buddhism there is no in Christianity let's start with that in Christianity there is this notion of offering well offering eating eating bread and taking wine and that's then has takes on a particular significance and then in Buddhism one would typically offer maybe a candle or some flowers or some fruits and the like now in a particular religion there is and this can be recently we did witness this in Nepal there is a belief or a view that by slaughtering a hundred if I'm not mistaken a hundred eleven buffaloes uh, the um, 
you know, well, the destiny of you know, the ruler of the country you know, can be changed. Now, just imagine uh, you know, the poor buffaloes that get killed for uh, you know, this particular you know, view. And it actually you know, happened. And so every year, and it's sort of really hard sort of wrenching you know, to see and to hear, at a particular, no, during a particular you know, festival, um, well, people go and you know, do animal sacrifices ranging all the way from you know, sacrificing you know, maybe a cock or a hen you know, to, you know, to a goat so, you know, up to a buffalo. And so, you know, then you know, the sun, yes, and then, you know, the blood of you know, the animals so, you know, slaughtered and sacrificed is, is even being poured about the uh, over the wheels of uh, the cars you know, that people are using, and so, you know, this then is supposed to be uh, to be a good omen or whatnot, and so, and then. Um, well, there are you know, also you know, views about uh, uh, numerology, numerology, so certain numbers are supposed to bring in luck and others not, or uh, um, like you know, driving in a car and having a snake uh, you know, crawl across you know, the road, this is supposed to bring you know, to be a sign of good luck, and uh, you know, then seeing certain birds uh, uh, you know, flying you know, across the sky, you know, these two, and then it's you know, being interpreted in you know, various ways. Now. And then on top of this, uh, we have uh, the views regarding uh, religious content. And so, so these certain views naturally then will differ from one uh, denomination to the next. Now, in the course of you know, the meditation practice, well, the various kinds of you know, views uh, that we as uh, ordinary you know, human beings tend to hold you know, get uh, gradually um, weakened and uh, if not uh, uprooted. And uh, can you think of uh, one such uh, uh, view? That we've discussed already at great length. Self. Pardon me? Self. Yes, it's correct. You know, the view of self and um, the wrongful belief in the existence of a self in the Pali scriptural language you know, known as Sakaya Deity. And so, as a meditator is uh, going through the different insight uh, knowledges, you know, then starting from the very first one, you know, one gains a first uh, uh, understanding of uh, you know, the, um, well, non-identification of the mind with objects so objects are no longer seen as my rising falling my, my pain or my ache my anger and so on but rather as just anger pain and rising and falling and so then in the third insight knowledge as we've discussed um, well as when, when we experience anatta then um, the belief in the existence of a, or, or you know, then you know, the notion of uh, atta of a self uh, gets uh, uh, at least temporarily uh, replaced and it is 
with uh, you know, the attainment of uh, you know, the you know, first uh, you know, path, namely the path of stream entry, you know, that this belief, wrongful belief in the existence of a self, you know, then gets uh, uprooted. Now, other um, other you know, things that you know, also other you know, beliefs you know, that also you know, get you know, uprooted in the course of you know, the practice uh, are you know, beliefs or views such, such as you know, the eternity view that you know, even after you know, death life goes on, the self or the soul you know, goes on to exist and you know, this happens with the fourth insight knowledge in particular for and fifth insight knowledge, especially you know, when one sees uh, you know, the dissolution of certain informations. And then, um, you know, furthermore, you know, one also with the fourth insight knowledge, and this time you know, with seeing the arising or the origination of formations, one understands you know, you know, that uh, um, the annihilationist view uh, lacks, uh, lacks substance. And so, And then uh, there is another you know, view uh, that uh, gets uh, uprooted or uh, uh, well, uh, weakened and, and uh, uprooted you know, through the practice. And uh, you know, this is the so-called Ahituka deity or Ahitu Pachaya deity, which is uh, in brief you know, the, you know, translated in English as the no. no cause view. So believing uh, that you know, there is no particular cause you know, to you know, the you know, phenomenon that we uh, experience. And uh, you know, that certain, uh, things are have you know, happening, everything is predestined uh, you know, by you know, faith, by, by fate, sorry, not faith. And so, so it is when a meditator experiences the second insight knowledge, which is the knowledge of discerning cause and effect, then this certain view starts shaking somewhat. Because one realizes for oneself over and over again that certain formations are not happening without a cause, but that there is a cause. And so another uh, another view then also gets uprooted in you know, the course of uh, the meditation practice is uh, that of Akiriya Wada, namely the belief. Uh, that there is no effect of uh, one's or to one's actions. So one can do whatever one likes, and uh, whether wholesome or unwholesome, there will not be any uh, results. And so, 
um, you know, this satnya, you know, then, and, and again in our meditation, as we you know, well develop you know, wholesome mental states, so you know, we gain uh, wholesome you know, results, and we you know, progress in our meditation practice. And in a very direct manner, you know, we can see how you know, when you know, we leave the mind unguarded, you know, that uh, unwholesome mental states uh, you know, will arise, and you know, these in turn you know, will cause. Uh, uh, much uh, suffering. Now, so when it comes uh, to uh, these certain views, uh, then um, it's certainly uh, good to um, keep an open mind and certainly uh, simply. Following the Buddha's advice, simply just to observe whatever is actually happening in the body and in the mind. And so, uh, the Buddha has described the Dhamma as possessing a particular quality, namely given in Pali as Ehipasiko, come and see for yourself. So, the invitation to come and see. And so, so not to you know, take this uh, Dhamma, um, not to buy into it, uh, into the whole package, uh, without uh, you know, testing it in any you know, way. And uh, as is certainly uh, well known, you know, the Buddha has certainly made it very clear in, the, you know, in his discourse to the Kalamas uh, that uh, one should not certainly believe you know, things simply because they've been handed down you know, from one generation to another or because certainly some famous person is certainly you know, teaching you know, these certain things. But rather, one should uh, you know, subject every uh, aspect of you know, the teaching you know, to a test and see whether you know, it's certainly really true or not. And so one should then accept only then what certainly one has you know, found for oneself you know, to be true. And so um, uh, aspects of the Dhamma, of the Buddha's Dhamma, uh, that you know, still remain uh, untested, uh, not certainly that certainly clear. You know, well, no one is well advised to simply you know, put them into the pending file and certainly you know, then uh, wait certain, until one's practice uh, uh, develops certainly further. And oftentimes, and that's the amazing thing, uh, oftentimes certain questions that one you know, unresolved questions you know, that uh, have arisen uh, over time. Time with the deepening of uh, one's meditation, you know, then, uh, you know, you know, then an answer comes up, or they find their answer. So maybe this much you know, regarding you know, views. So you know, in our meditation practice, um, it's important to see that these views can you know, influence certain our you know, meditation much, and uh, so to keep the mind uh, you know, quite free from them uh, as much as certain possible. Maybe you know, to give you one more uh, example, practical example, of what a view can do. 
um, maybe 20, 30 years ago, meditation you know, practice in the West was you know, kind of uh, uh, socially something that uh, you know, only uh, you know, people at the uh, edges of society uh, would, or at the periphery of society would indulge in or engage in. But now, unfortunately, things have changed and I so, thought now, now meditation in this country has uh, uh, become even a mainstream activity. Nothing unusual, and certain people are even supportive of it. So, um, maybe you know, 20, 30 years ago, even if a person would have had you know, the you know, inclination, uh, inclination and all, you know, all, all the qualities to do the practice successfully, simply just because the social view you know, or the general, you know, the view of the general public was uh, against that meditation, well, you know, this then prevented many people you know, from actually doing uh, the practice. Now, other you know, mental you know, mental states uh, that uh, might arise you know, together you know, with uh, you know, tranquility uh, are you know, given as kamanyata in the Pali language, which is wieldiness of the mind, and its characteristic is the subsiding of unwieldiness and. Sub- uh, its function is to crush that unwieldiness, and it's, uh, it is manifested as uh, success of uh, uh, the mind in making something an object uh, of observation. And so, uh, then the next one is uh, that of proficiency, and uh, it's pagunyata uh, in the Pali scripture language, and uh, it's uh, uh, characteristic is that of health, the healthiness of uh, the mind, and uh, its function is to crush the unhealthiness of the mind, and uh, uh, it manifests as an absence of uh, disability, and. This proficiency, Bhagavanyata, is opposed to two new things. Uh, that create a certain unhealthiness of mind, uh, such as a lack of uh, faith in certain so on. And the uh, rectitude or straightforwardness uh, as a mental factor we've discussed already yesterday. Now, the next... Now, the imperfection of uh, the inside to you know, look at is uh, that of uh, determined uh, faith, and uh, this in uh, the Pali language is uh, given uh, as Adi Mokha. Now, uh, this term uh, can assume different uh, meanings, and certainly sometimes uh, it's uh, being translated as firm resolve, as determination, as determined faith, or decision, or uh, resolution. And the Visuddhimagatna says uh, that uh, this Adimokha uh, is resolution, and certain uh, resolution stands uh, is the same thing as certain uh, faith. So Adimokha is equal to uh, uh, faith. 
and uh, this certain faith is said certain to or strong faith is certainly said to arise uh, in the context of uh, insight and meditation now from a Animoka itself is uh, um, is a mental state that is one of the you know, mental states actually different from you know, from faith, somewhat certainly different, and uh, literally it means the releasing of the mind uh, onto an object, object of uh, observation, and certainly uh, thus uh, it has been you know, translated as decision or you know, resolution, and its characteristic is that of conviction and the function is of not groping now this means let's say you've been uh, all your life you've known that uh, there is more to human existence than just indulgence in the sense pleasures however you you couldn't quite figure out uh, how to get uh, to this deeper uh, level um, or or deeper deeper meaning of life so you 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 go around you check out this uh, you know, practice that practice and so on so you're you know, groping in you know, the dark but then finally you know, finally you come upon you know, a practice that really you know, suits you and you know, that you feel is you know, really leading you further and is carrying this deeper meaning and with this you know, there is no more groping and with this you know, then you know, there is certain a decision, yes, this is it, and uh, you know, I'll, go and I'll you know, stick to this uh, for the rest uh, you know, of my life. Hence, the manifestation of uh, you know, this Adimokha is certainly uh, given, decision is given as decisiveness, namely you know, no longer being, uh, no longer well, you know, being unclear and certainly playing with different options but uh, uh, coming to a decision. And you know, the proximate cause for the arising of uh, you know, this Adimokha you know, decision is uh, to have a thing that one you know, is convinced about. Now, the you know, venerable you know, Mahasi side of Burma explains it as certain follows. He says it, it is a very clear faith and confidence that arises together with a noting and certain observing mind. And so, um, he says that because of the presence of this certain strong faith and certain confidence, the mind is free from impurities. And thus the mind is certainly very clear. Now, there is uh, a logical explanation for the arising of this determined faith in our meditation practice. And so what do you think leads to uh, Adimokha? What kind of experiences? 
The insight knowledge is so the, the direct experience, your own direct experience. Yes, uh, yes, in a general sense, yes. And so, if you think in terms of the imperfections, <laughs> Very simple. Experiences like joy and then tranquility and happiness, especially those three, plus for some the illumination and also the strong or unerring, keen, incisive, sharp knowledge. So when a meditator has all these wonderful experiences, naturally one develops lots of faith in this practice. Like previously, I've never had these kind of experiences, uh, at least not to this extent, and uh, now you know, all, all of this is happening, you know, you know, this is just uh, you know, you know, fabulous. And so, and so then one realizes you know, with this, uh, one you know, realizes the potential of, uh, well, of the mind, but also the potential of uh, the practice. So the meditation leads you to experiences that under normal circumstances are, are not um, easily uh, available. And so, what arises out of this is much determined faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, and in particular in the practice. And even if the faith in the Buddha and Dhamma is Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha isn't all that strong, but at least there'll be strong faith in the meditation practice itself. And so, so a meditator comes to the conclusion, yes, this is, uh, this is it, and uh, this is what I'm going to continue to uh, do, uh, some say even, until the end of my uh, life, or my, uh, the end of my days. And so... And when you know, this certain adimokha arises in our meditation practice, and then it manifests in very peculiar ways. Now, most of you have experienced already you know, some determined faith, and uh, so what can you think of? Oh, it takes me on a retreat. Yes. Go on. And now what next? There's many manifestations here. Yes, Jeff. It keeps you on a difficult object when you're observing. It keeps you on a difficult object. Yes, this uh, never mind. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, could well be. Well, you know, more direct things. So you have all these wonderful experiences, and then you think of your loved ones, uh, uh, loved ones at home, uh, your friends, your relatives, and, and, and so on, near and dear ones, and then you want them to experience what you've just experienced. No? So you have all these wonderful experiences and you want to share you know, them with others. You want others to you know, gain the same you know, thing. And so 
And then, uh, and then, you know, you know, well, the intention arises. Okay, let me, you know, call you know, my you know, dear person so and so right away. And so you know, then you're heading for the next telephone. However, there are no telephones around here. <laughs> so you know, this thing, you know, at least around here, you know, will not work. But in Burma, in Burma and other places, it does indeed happen just like this. Or if, as a meditator, you go to some Asian country like Burma, Thailand, or so, and you practice there intensively, and and so then you have all these wonderful experiences and so, you, know, you feel really, like I said you know, the other day, like being on the top of the world. Then, um, yeah, then, and so the telephone is out of question. Then you, know, you might find yourself writing long letters and so, you know, describing all you know, the experiences that you've had and so, you know, then you know, asking the other person, please can go and book take or get the next flight to one of these Asian countries and come and join me in the retreat or for the retreat and so well, for some it doesn't take you know, these forms, but it's more limited to the near, well, the, the people around. And so, if a meditator has had some outstanding experiences, then he or she may take a look at the other meditators in the group and find, oh, that meditator over there is not practicing all that well and uh, seems to be a little bit sluggish maybe I should uh, uh, talk to this person and encourage this person and uh, you know then one gets off on a missionary uh, run and so uh, and so then another you know, manifestation that's not too unusual either of uh, you know, this determined faith is that uh, the meditator has all these wonderful experiences and uh, then sees the Buddha statue up there and reflects on you know, the serenity of it and the you know, well you know, the outstanding nature of the Buddha himself as a person as a teacher and certainly one thinks of the Dhamma of the Sangha and one starts bowing my slowly mindfully the first time the second time the third time the fourth time the fifth time and it goes on like this many times and some one might even be shedding you know, some tears uh, because one is uh, you know, so uh, emotionally, uh, well, or emotionally somewhat uh, agitated. And there are you know, some meditators, and these are usually the somewhat more confident meditators who, you know, while on retreat, while they're having all these wonderful experiences, 
already in the mind write their first Dhamma talks. <laughs> Namely, the Dhamma talks that they're going to give once they get back home. And some, you know, some take it even a step further. They write, you know, they arrange not just the first few Dhamma talks, but they already plan their career, you know, their future career as a Dhamma teacher. And so, so whether you know, this is useful or not, I don't know. Um, at least at this point, no, one thing is for sure. And certainly at this point, one is well advised you know, to simply just label all of this, uh, to recognize uh, you know, this as uh, determined faith, and uh, then not to get carried away, and uh, then you know, to go back to our ordinary labeling and uh, ordinary you know, non-reactive uh, uh, observation and knowing you know, the nature of what is going on. And if one does so, then all of this will gradually subside and one will be quite okay again. <laughs> now, um, so, with regard to this um, imperfection of insight as certain or determined faith, now, the same thing holds true um, as with uh, the others, namely there are three potential dangers and uh, you know, those dangers certainly uh, lie in uh, a craving you know, to you know, the craving for the mental state of determined faith and uh, then furthermore you know, the arising of pride and conceit and uh, wrong view. And here, wrong view might come in you know, in the form of the idea, oh well, maybe this is it, and uh, I'm having I'm having all the necessary experiences that qualify me as a teacher. You know, so you know, then after this retreat, I can start teaching, and so, you know, that would be a little bit you know, premature. And so. You know, so the next imperfection of insight is that of bhagaha or energy. And the way this manifests is that a meditator simply all of a sudden has lots of energy at his or her disposal. And early on, one was suffering from a lack of energy and much sluggishness, dullness of the mind, and so one could barely get oneself or pull oneself through a city and barely do the walking meditation. Now, once the Pagaha is there, uh, the meditation is a piece of cake. And so, uh, it doesn't require any uh, major uh, uh, effort. So, what happens is that because the controlling faculties um, namely you know, the two pairs of uh, effort and uh, concentration and uh, the pair of faith and uh, you know, wisdom are well balanced and the mind as a whole you know, you know, becomes more you know, balanced because of this one has uh, more energy uh, you know, available and so, um, now 
this increase of uh, the energy at this point actually does not uh, represent excessive uh, energy and it does not necessarily lead to restlessness as would be the case if one were to or if one were to exert too hard so well known case or extreme is too much effort leads to restlessness but here it's not happening like this and so the effort uh, that is certainly present here, the energy that is present uh, at this point, is an energy that is neither, uh, or an effort that is neither too lax nor uh, too uh, strained. So just uh, right. Now, the way uh, this certain energy uh, then manifests in one's certain meditation practice is certainly quite obvious. A meditator uh, finds certainly that sun, all, all of that certain sluggishness, sloth and torpor and so on, uh, is gone, and so the mind is certainly well, uh, alert, awakened, energetic, and certainly then one also finds that one can easily sit for longer stretches. So if previously one barely managed to do one hour, now one can do a sitting of an hour and a half, two hours, some meditators even up to three hours. And so uh, it doesn't certainly really, it's not really uh, all that certainly difficult to, to do. And some, you know, same thing in the walking meditation, the walking meditation uh, unfolds quite, certainly quite easily. And so then let me see. Oh, uh, at this point in the practice, meditators find or may find that previously towards the last sitting or during the last sitting of the day they would frequently get really drowsy and have a really hard time to get through that last sitting but now the situation changes and despite of the fact that it's the last sitting of the day and it's been a long day yet uh, uh, no, the mind is still filled uh, no, with energy and some meditators certainly furthermore experience that certainly for um, well that they wake up earlier in the morning, the mind is all refreshed, and certainly the body is also well rested, even though one has slept less than one would ordinarily do. Now, another manifestation of this bhagaha, and certainly this point in the practice, is that some meditators go on practicing sitting, walking, sitting, walking not uh, sitting, walking, sitting, walking without lying down not only during the daytime but also during the night 
And so one finds oneself to be the last person uh, in the hall at night, and then there's still a lot of energy left. One really doesn't feel tired. One doesn't feel like going to bed, and one then decides to you know, push it a little bit. And then one does some walking meditation that goes well. One sits uh, another you know, for another stretch that also goes well. And then after that, one feels one still has some energy left. There's no other meditator around, and you know, one does you know, uh, walking meditation, sitting meditation uh, throughout the whole night. And then uh, you know, and one is the first person in the hall uh, when. You know, or, one well, one is the only person in the hall throughout the night, and then to greet those who come in after having slept several hours. And so, so this kind of an energetic practice is possible sometimes for a 24-hour period, for some, even for a 48-hour period, and for in rare cases, or rare cases, even more than this. Now, when it happens like this, when one has you know, much energy available, or at one's disposal, then one should not waste the opportunity by going to bed at 7 p.m., but or let's say by 8 o'clock, but rather put it to good use. And this then will further one's further and deepen one's practice. Now, the dangers are you know, the same, namely, you know, they occur in the form of uh, you know, craving of pride and conceit and uh, you know, wrong view. So you know, one is well advised uh, not, to, uh, uh, not to buy into these. And certainly simply, you know, when there is certain, one finds there is certain strong uh, effort and certain, the energy is coming naturally, then you know, to be mindful of this and uh, to label it, to observe it, and to know it and simply uh, go on uh, practicing. Now, the eighth imperfection of uh, insight is uh, that of strong mindfulness, upatana, and uh, this upatana actually uh, means establishment, and uh, this term is used in the connection of Satipatthana, so establishment of mindfulness. Now, the mindfulness that is referred to here is again a mindfulness naturally that arises in the context of insight meditation and it is an, uh, a mindfulness that comes uh, naturally, that comes effortlessly. And so on top of this, that comes easy, that is continuous, and certainly that uh, is not missing any you know, major you know, object. So an object, even if objects arise uh, in a quick succession, the mindfulness is quick enough and sharp enough you know, to you know, go 
with the flow to go with what is uh, happening. So it's swift and certainly also very sharp and uh, light and we can say at this point that the mindfulness is dynamic uh, in nature. Now this contrasts greatly from the mindfulness that we experienced before which tended you know, to be you know, uh, much you know, slower and uh, oftentimes certainly still missing you know, the predominant uh, object of uh, observation. Now, the venerable Namasi side uh, points out uh, that um, in the context of you know, this strong mindfulness, uh, it may seem to a meditator at times as if the objects were coming you know, towards the mind, and at other times it may be you know, it certainly may appear as if you know, the mind is quite naturally you know, going towards you know, the predominant object of uh, observation. And so again, you know, because one's uh, mindfulness is so, you know, so sharp and outstanding and has you know, these wonderful qualities, a meditator may be um, misled you know, to think that uh, um, he or she has certainly gained you know, the super mundane you know, path knowledge and and uh, uh, you know, with this you know, then one's practice certainly will stagnate uh, so thinking like this leads certainly to uh, or is tantamount to the arising of a wrong view and certainly this then leads to stagnation or even a drop in one's practice so um one has to be careful when one's certain mindfulness is uh, as good as certain described here um, that to be you know, uh, mindful of it and not to let any craving, any pride and conceit and wrong view uh, come in. Now, um, the ninth imperfection, the second last one, is certainly that of equanimity, and this is an interesting point, or an interesting mental state. And the text certainly points out, the Visuddhimagga points out, that actually it refers, equanimity, it refers to two kinds of equanimity. And one is equanimity in insight, and the other one is certainly known as equanimity in adverting. Now, Equanimity in insight, Dattara Majatata Upeka in Pali, is referred to or is given as neutrality in the investigation of the formations or objects as they are occurring. And so, you know, that neutrality in one's investigation is present because 
um, one has observed those same objects already many hundreds, if not thousand times. So, you know, to bring or you know, make this point even clearer, previously, especially at the outset of one's practice, the mind was still you know, very much, you know, or the mind is you know, very much swayed you know, by desirable objects and undesirable objects, and so, you know, so you know, developing a liking towards the desirable objects and developing a disliking towards the undesirable objects, and uh, so you know, there's much you know, reactivity there which means uh, there's no equanimity present. However, having observed objects like a wandering mind uh, already many times and many other objects, and one knows it's just another mental object, so what isn't really, it isn't really all that special uh, or special thought, and so, uh, so yeah, then um, one then uh, brings uh, the mindset is neutral about uh, the object occurring. And so this is one uh, aspect here under equanimity. The other one is given in Pani as Awajana Upeka. Upeka is equanimity and Awajana means adverting. Now, adverting or advertence refers to that particular function of consciousness that adverts to the next object. So, let's say, we're sitting in meditation and then we hear some thunder. And so then naturally the mind will advert towards the ear door. And then the mind will go through the so-called cognitive process and then process this audible datum. And so here, this Avajana Upeka is to be understood as equanimity in adverting to, in adverting in the mind door. See, there are six sense doors. There's the eye door, the ear door, the nose door, the tongue door, the body door, and as the last one, the mind door. So, mind door stands for objects that enter, so to speak, the mind. And so, so this covers you know, objects that uh, may arise in the mind door are you know, your you know, your memories, are your mental states, and you know, then also you know, your feelings, and you know, then you know, the awareness of uh, awareness, the knowledge of some you know, bodily sensation, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, the, there is equanimity in the advertence towards Satya or in, in, in the mind door. And this advertence, it is said, is working um, very incisively and in a very sharp manner. And as certain sharp as, uh, sharp and as quick as certain a flash of uh, lightning. See, to explain this point uh, a little bit uh, further, uh, it may not be all that obvious uh, to you. When you contemplate um, 
mental objects, and then you may have thought, you know, come across certain, an experience where the mind is kind of going back and forth between, or where the mind is sort of wavering, and it doesn't quite know which object to, you sorry, turn into next. And so maybe there's some desirable, some undesirable object, and uh, even though it's quite certainly predominant, the mind that doesn't want to you know, go there. So that would then mean that there is no equanimity uh, in advertence. Um, or in another you know, case, um, there may be you know, well a desirable object, and easily the mind you know, goes there uh, with much you know, interest. And, and so, uh, when it comes to this equanimity in advertence, you know, the mind uh, um, has no preference, and certainly so, uh, in an incisive and a sharp manner, and quick manner, does it go you know, towards, so, or does it advert to what's the predominant object? Now, the last. The uh, imperfection of insight is certainly uh, that of uh, attachment, certainly uh, nikanti, and uh, you know, this uh, imperfection is said you know, to underlie all of the you know, others in a subtle, uh, in a subtle way, and. So, when it uh, arises, then we should be uh, mindful of it. So when we notice that there is attachment to a certain experience, the present experience, then uh, we simply just label it and observe it, know its nature, and let go of it. And so, so this then covers certainly the ten imperfections. Skilled and professional meditator will go through this phase governed by the ten imperfections and will not be influenced by the imperfections and just remember, will remember to be mindful of whatever object arises and without developing any craving, pride and conceit and a wrong view nor getting attached to the respective experience. And as a result of this, the person will quickly across these certain ten imperfections and with this then the practice will move on. Now this particular phase where the imperfections arise represents well a rather distinct point in one's meditation practice and when we and in terms of the you know, seven purifications, it is known as uh, you know, the you know, purification by you know, knowledge and vision of what is the path and the not path. So there's mention here of uh, you know, the correct path and the not path. And the correct, the not path lies in getting attached to all these experiences, indulging in them, celebrating them, 
um, and so oh, wanting more and more of them and the correct path simply lies in remembering to be mindful and just to label and observe and to know whatever comes along so this then represents a major well a major cross roads in or junction in our meditation practice now from a practical point of view even though a meditation teacher may remind meditators over and over again don't get get attached to these experiences they will frequently will not hear it and or will say yes 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 and then in the actual meditation will forget about the advice and will just get totally attached to the experience and however and, and getting attached to the experience and then you know, experiencing you know, Dhamma delight over and over and over again but there is an inbuilt mechanism sooner or later you know, one gets tired of joy and rapture one gets tired of tranquility if one has already experienced it for five days non-stop and one also gets tired of happiness in the other imperfections of insight and then one will realize that indulging in these experiences is a real dead end road and so it just doesn't lead anywhere and whereas and, and then you know, the meditator gets the point and so you know, then you know, they will you know, remember to be you know, mindful and so, you know, once you know, this shift you know, in understanding takes place you know, then quite naturally will the meditator uh, move ahead again so that's uh, um, the major point here and so then it is important for uh, a meditator you know, to gain these ten uh, imperfections of insight you know, during a retreat and for a very simple reason imagine you were on a 10-day retreat instead of a 20-day retreat and um, your the practice is in the midst of uh, dukkha so you know, you know, dukkha and jnana as part of the third insight knowledge and uh, so you're experiencing lots of pains and aches and lots of uh, unwholesome and uh, destructive uh, mental states well and certainly so with this you end the retreat and you go back home <laughs> and so, so you know, with this you know, once you're back home you know, will you have wonderful you know, memories of the retreat <laughs> uh, not really and so, however 
if one does a somewhat longer retreat and then has time to go beyond the third insight knowledge and then the imperfections come or arise in one's practice and then one has all these wonderful experiences and naturally naturally faith will be there and naturally one will be highly motivated to go on in one's meditation thinking if this much is possible during during a retreat then if I were to practice even longer there will be even better results to come or to be expected so um, based on a, a good on good experiences a meditator feels inspired to continue with inside meditation and you know, will eventually you know, then uh, reach you know, the goal and so you know, you know, when we look at um, the way the you know, the, part of the you know, uh, path of insight meditation is uh, unfolding, then we find uh, there are vipassana goodies uh, all along. So you know, once in a while, you know, we have some you know, we have to go through you know, a so-called down or a throw, and uh, you know, then comes uh, fortunately comes some you know, well you know, rather. Inspiring experience, and with this we feel motivated again to continue. And then after that, we might hit again some difficult spot, and shortly after that, again some inspiring experience comes. And also, what one. Um, experiences during the you know, ten imperfections of insight you know, may be extremely useful you know, for one's daily life. So uh, just uh, you know, think of you know, mental qualities such as um, tranquility or you know, think of uh, you know, the energy, you know, strong energy, strong mindfulness and in particular you know, equanimity. Now Equanimity is a mental factor which at the beginning of one's retreat is not obvious at all. It's present in a dormant state in the mind, but it's not showing. And many people really don't quite know what is meant by equanimity. But at this point here, where one experiences the imperfections, one gains a first and direct understanding of what equanimity is all about. One learns to appreciate it, and then this then will serve as a reference point for one's daily life. And the next time one is exposed to some difficult situation, one and the mind is somewhat agitated, one might remember this quality of equanimity and certainly remain more balanced in the face of those certain difficulties. 
And then just as an anecdote to share with you, once there was a foreign meditator, he was from a European country, and then later on he moved actually to New York, if I remember well. And uh, and he came you know, to he, he had a, a habit of uh, maybe once a year or so you know, doing a retreat in Burma and um, he would practice he you know, would practice until he would get to these imperfections of insight and then he would say okay this much is enough uh, I don't want to go any further in my practice I'm delighted you know, with these wonderful mental states you know, Nibbana is not interesting for me and, <laughs> and, and there, was, there was no this meditator once practiced at the Panditarama meditation center in Yangon and there, is no, there was no way you know, talking him into you know, going beyond these imperfections he would simply not give them up and so he would experience them and hold on to them until the end of his retreat and then uh, and then leave the retreat leave the country and so kindly please don't do like this and so, and so the imperfections are just uh, you know, like an appetizer but the main dish uh, you know, the main benefits uh, are to, or the fruits of the practice uh, are to come you know, later on now this then you know, brings us you know, to the end you know, of our you know, talk tonight. Let me conclude by you know, wishing may you know, all of you, you know, experience you know, these imperfections you know, fully, comprehensively, and you know, may you, you know, well be skillful. May you be the, you know, the skillful and professional meditator who can see you know, through you know, those imperfections and and not get caught up in them in any way and Satya thus Satya then you know, strongly inspired may you go on in your meditation practice and eventually uh, reach uh, well, uh, the peace of Nibbana and this is it for tonight questions shorter or longer yes Jackie I just have one to have clarity on averting equanimity yes uh, you used a lightning as an example um, you're saying then with averting equanimity the meditator may be observing a particular object um, then the hearing door opens because they hear the lightning but with averting equanimity they have the skill to hear it close it and return back to the predominant object yeah the mind immediately goes there okay. you know immediately without uh, wavering or so and uh, and uh, without without wavering and without reacting mm-hmm. I suppose and uh, okay and then any other comments, questions? Well, if not, then no. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.